Welcome to the Olympods with me, uh, veteran boxing reporter John Denon, ace sports commentator Dave Rogers, and my second or third favourite Olympic bronze medalist ever, <laughs> Tony Jeffries. If that's supposed to be a compliment <laughs> on you, you my back. Who's your first and second? Uh, look, I don't want to play favourites, Tony. I don't <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be someone like Evander Holyfield and uh, Floyd Mayweather. Floyd got a bronze as well, didn't he? Oh, yeah. I've forgotten about them. No, I was cool. thinking Boatsy or Coco Jeffrey. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> right, I see you there. But yeah, I think now you've reminded me of Holyfield and Mayweather. So, yeah, I better start again. My sixth favourite <laughs> bronze medalist in history, Tony Jeffries. I'm only so, joking. Tony's my favourite, really. I know, I know. Uh, you are, Tony, our first legitimate international guest. Um, just to, for, the, for those people who don't know, tell us sort of where you're living now and where you are in the world and what you're up to. Yeah, I'm in Los Angeles, California. And uh, when I retired from boxing, I moved out here and started a life out here teaching boxing for fitness. And uh, yeah, it's, it's going great. I'm originally from Sunderland, so it's a, a big, big difference to where I'm from. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's great out here. I love it. I really do. It's brought us so many opportunities. And I've created so many opportunities from being out here. I've actually been to Tony's gym in Santa Monica. It's an amazing gym, like really nice. It's really amazing out there. Really quite sort of an unexpected place for you to have ended up after, you know, obviously doing so well at the Olympics and then a pro career in Britain. Yeah. So the reason I come out of here in the first place was when I was pro, I drew me like seventh pro fight and I wanted to make a change because I was training in Sunderland and, I had a, a bit of a name in Sunderland and everyone was like, you need to get out of there. You're a big fish in a small pond was the, what, what we were saying. And I was like, all right. So I come on holiday to Los Angeles and me promoter at the time, Frank Maloney said, come on, go and train with uh, a guy out there called Tommy Brooks, who used to work with uh, Mike Tyson and Holyfield. So I went and met Tommy when I was out here and, uh, and I, I loved the vibe and, me and my wife just moved in and I started training with Tommy Brooks and never really looked back since. It was one of the best things I've ever done, moving out here. I've, I've never been. I can't believe you have, John Denon. You don't seem nearly glamorous enough to have spent any time in LA. <laughs> I, know, I know, and I'm far too pale, really, to spend any time at any length out there. So, um, But yeah, no, I've, Tony's gym is really nice. Well, well one of two, isn't it? And yeah. I didn't see any celebrities when I was there but I believe you have a roster of celebrity clients. Yeah, there's loads of celebrities out here, uh, which I never thought I would ever be associated with back in Sunderland. You don't think of it. Uh, but then, yeah, like I say, out here, there's opportunities that come along and it's, it's great. And yeah, in the, in the gyms, I'll tell you a quick story about the gym. So all the opportunities that I've created in my life is from being an, an Olympian and... So I turned professional, I got sponsorship. Army Fights was on TV because I was an Olympian. And with us being on TV, I had sponsorships. And then when I ended up retiring, I had a great relationship with Lonsdale. And we opened a gym out here. Lonsdale, even though I was retired from boxing, I still wanted to 
help us and, and work with us. They sent us a boxing ring, loads of bags, loads of gloves, which really helped us start the gym out, out here. And uh, it was a huge, huge help, again, from being an Olympian. And then another thing, like, I, I use the Olympian term all the time. People know I was an Olympian and it just opened so many doors and brings so many opportunities. So if you are a future Olympian, it is a, a life-changing experience. No, I'm still reaping the benefits now. I still use it all the time now to my advantage. <laughs> and, it, and it works. It really does. Right then, John, I'd like to talk about some boxing, but you have probably got a start point where you'd like to begin from. Well, it's more that Tony's 2008 Olympic squad was a really good team, mm. you know, that's produced a lot of, you know, well, hugely talented, but plus world champions, James DeGale, Billy Joe Saunders, Kalia Fai, and obviously the whole squad were great fighters. How hard, Tony, was it to even, like, make the team and get to go to the qualification events? How tough was that? Uh, to, to be honest, I was the champion of England when I, when I was 13 years old, and I won it every single year since. So I was the champion from 13 to 23. I, so I, I don't feel it was that hard because I was, I was in it. If, if you're not in it, I guess it will be hard. If you're not the best in your weight category, it's not as hard. But for me, it was pretty, I see it simple, but I was, I was winning all the titles. Um, but then, uh, yeah, but, but, but to actually go to the Olympics and fight these international tournaments all the time, especially I suffered from quite a few injuries, even as an amateur, uh, that was tough. And then the, the training camps, they were, they were tough uh, in Sheffield, away from home and, but now looking back on it, I was just in a, in, in a DM chat the other day with uh, with James DeGill, Kaya Fai, uh, Stephen Smith, David Price. And, and we were all in the group chat and we were talking about just how, how that was the best times of our lives. You know, we were constantly laughing and joking and carrying on when we were in with, within the squads. It, it was great. It really was. Because uh, they're, they're big personalities as well. Like, uh, you know, what was it like being away with people like, Billy Joe Saunders or James Gale, was it? Um, yeah, yeah, what was the whole environment like? It was, it was so funny. Then you got Frankie Gavin as well, who was off his head. And we had we had the funniest times. It was never a time where, where we weren't laughing, you know. Uh, we, we, we'd do this odd sparring. And then after that, it was just like, we were, we were just laughing and joking. And yeah, you got Billy Joe Saunders, who's another one who's crazy, you know. And, and, then, and then, yeah, James DeGale, who's hilarious and it was just a, a great a great time and like now we're we're still I feel like we've got this special bond that will have forever like everyone on the team uh, even the guys that didn't really have so much success like I don't know if you remember Danny Price he was a heavyweight and uh, he, he beat Tony Bellew he, he beat uh, David Dolan who was a top boy at his time he beat lots of great fighters uh, and he never qualified he got beat off Usyk in the world championships uh, so he was unlucky there, but like we've got this, we've got this bond together that that will never leave us. You know, it's amazing to hear that. But you're you're a coach now, right? And so all those trips you went on as a youngster, where did you go? Like Poland, Spain, Italy. I think you even ended up in in India. Was it a YMCA yeah. tournament in India? Um, yeah. So, so you've got that group of lads, and you all get on like a house on fire. But you've got to focus on the boxing at some point. Can you imagine with those coaches? It must have been like herding cats sometimes with all oh, you guys having the crack. 
Yeah, the, 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 when it comes to training, we'd all be training really hard and we'd push each other along in the training. But after the training, it was just it's, it's just ridiculous, you know. Like we you just mess around and just get up there having a laugh. And I mean, there was there was one time where uh, there was a couple of boxers, I'm not naming the names, got suspended off the team for one of them bought, just bought a convertible car and they bought a big tree of eggs and they'd be going around egging. <laughs> this is in Sheffield in the middle of a training camp. And uh, yeah, they got kicked off the team for, <laughs> for a couple of months. Like shit like that was happening all the time. And it was it was it was just you know, we were just daft young lads. And the thing about boxing, which you both know, is like the majority of boxers come from uh, maybe rough neighborhoods, uneducated backgrounds, and then then you put us into a position like that with freedom, you know, we we go a bit crazy and we and we push each other to do stupid stuff. So uh, yeah, I mean it was it was so funny and uh, one of the best times of my life. So away from the stupid stuff, did you all ever sort of talk about ambitions and the future and what you wanted, whether it was getting to a world championships or or getting to an Olympics or or winning a medal? Was that all a part of it as well? Yeah, we never really used to talk deep about that stuff. The, the, big, the big goal was to qualify for the Olympics because before Beijing Olympics, the previous Olympics in 2004, there was only one boxer. No, there was two boxers that went. It was uh, Amir Khan and Corny Fine. Did he go to that Olympics? Is that right? No. He, he might have been 2000. Because yeah, it might have been only Amir in 04 and, the, and then in 2000, it might have been only two people. It might have been only Audley and Corny yeah. Fry, I think. Audley and... Yeah, so... From the last previous eight years, there'd only been three boxers to ever qualify for boxing. And so we knew the big task ahead. So our one goal was to qualify for the Olympics. We didn't really talk about meddling in the Olympics or winning the Olympics. It was just to qualify for the Olympics, you know. But I remember I remember in 2003, I was sharing a room with Amir Khan, and he was like 16, and I was a couple of years older than him. I think I was... 18 and or 19 and sharing a room with Amir Khan and I remember I didn't really know him that well a young 16 year old kid and he was like yeah I'm going to qualify for the Olympics in, in Athens I'm going to win the gold medal and I was like alright he's off his head he's crazy he's got no clue he's doesn't realise I wanted to go to the Olympics he's like yeah I, I want to be the best I'm going to win I'm going to do and I was like alright mate so I'm thinking this, this, this young kid's off his head <laughs> but then you see him what he's done. He, he accomplished it. He accomplished the unaccomplishable, you know. And his mindset is, is is amazing. And I'm still good friends with Amir now. And yeah, just what he he was one person that really did believe that he was going to not just qualify for Olympics, but go there and win the gold medal. And yeah, he got the silver. But still, as a 17 year old when he went, unbelievable what he did, what he achieved. You know. So when he did that, did that make you all realise that? Christ, maybe we can all do this. No, he only said it to me, and I think I went and said it to the boys, and we, we were like, fucking hell, what, what does he, you know, he needs to pipe down a little bit, him. Because, like, uh, yeah, this was like in 2003, and like, yeah. we were still young. We, 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 were, we weren't even on target for the 2004 Olympics, we weren't on target for the 2008 Olympics, or 2003. So for him to think he was just going to come on the team and go straight to the next, it was like, so uh, yeah, we 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 thought he was a bit. Uh, well, I thought he was a bit crazy, but then he then he then he did 
really, really well and obviously made the country proud by done. Yeah. But the fact that your team got eight people to an Olympics is actually, a, you know, that's a, that was a big breakthrough for British boxing. Because so since right. that Olympic cycle, obviously we've had big teams, you know, for, yeah. a lot, for, the, for the two following Olympics. But that was a real breakthrough moment to get a big squad qualified and then get, you know, really good medal hall as well. Right. Big time, yeah. And the person we got to thank for all that is Audley Harrison. And I have sort of wrote a blog before about Audley Harrison and, and what he'd done, what he achieved winning that gold medal, and give the funding for, for all of us to, to to have success. Because after we won the gold medal, I don't know how long it took for the funding to come in, but it kind of it started before the 2004 Olympics. But by after 2004, when Ami had that success as well, we were in full swing. They put so much money into to everyone and uh, in, into the programme, getting the best coaches. And then Terry Edwards brought, who was the amateur performance director at the time, put in on this great programme um, that that really got brought the best out in everyone. The funding allowed us to travel around the world, fight in different countries, which brought our experience level up. And then that's just continued on from, from back then, in 2005-2006, all the way up until, until the day right now. You know, I know Terry, Terry's not involved with it anymore, but... He is, is, a, is a coach and a performance director. I didn't get on with him at the time. I didn't like him. But now I, now I see, I couldn't stand him. But now I see the, uh, <laughs> what, what he's done and, and, and it, was, it was amazing. Hmm. Well, let's talk about your sort of journey to the Olympics then. So, we, you know, we talked about 2000, 2004. Um, how did you find out that you were going to be a funded athlete and that 2008 was going to be the sort of focus of your amateur career if you like yeah so i got i got put on uh, the the world-class program when it started when the fun first come in it was in two it was actually 2001 i think about now uh, after 2000 olympics they, they got all of the 16 year olds together mm. and it, it was in liverpool i remember it was a huge huge training squad and they uh they got all the champions the runners up together and Kind of started the eight-year training program for the 2008 Olympics right then, and and then I then we start getting funding. The funding was like every three months. I was 16. You'd get like 300 pound. As a 16-year-old, I was buzzing. I was like, get in, I'll get in. <laughs> yeah, the richest person in my school. <laughs> and then, but then as well uh, that year, I went to the. Uh, we went to the European Championships, the Cadet Championships, uh, when I was 16, under 17, and I won the gold medal there. And I was the first European champion for years um, since I think it was Earl Christie, I think it was the last European champion. So that kind of showed that the, that was a bit more evidence that what they started to do was working because we got a, a European champion now. Um, uh, and and the program was working, so then that really catapulted me, secured my place on this eight-year training program, uh, and I won the young boxer of the year that that year. And then uh, yeah, and, and then then it just started to roll on from there. You get picked to go to a tournament in Poland, in wherever it was around the world, in France, and time after time we go to these tournaments, and that's where the experience started. Getting, getting the experience and the more you travel, the more you fought these higher quality opponents, the champions of different countries, the 
the better we got without without really knowing it. Because at the time, you don't realise just how how beneficial it is when we're fighting a Russian who's an absolute monster, who you're shitting yourself about fighting. You don't realise at the time, like, you might get beat, but it's it's giving you that experience, giving you, helping you, bring you along and putting you in the position to actually go to the Olympics and then, and then win a medal, you know? Yeah, yeah you, you mentioned in the, the, the sort of Russians there. That's one of the things that I think is so bloody hard about amateur boxing. Once you turn professional, you can, to a point, kind of choose who you fight and prepare for the yeah. amateurs. It's luck of the draw, isn't it? Sometimes you can just get oh. a, a beast in the first round and you're like, oh, God, here we go. Yeah, big time. Uh, it really is. And I remember we'd, we'd go to tournaments and you'd be looking around to see what countries was there in the multinations and like, Oh shit, there's a Russian tracksuit. Or <laughs> 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 the Ukrainians are oh, no. uh, But that, that, that was at the, at the beginning. Like when it's coming to the end, it's like you're up there with them, you know. Mm. After the after all these years, like right now, England's up there with the Russians and the Ukrainians when it comes to the quality of fighters. But back then, they were miles ahead of us, you know. So a lot of us had to get beat up along the way to. to <laughs> Of the, the next generation. <laughs> uh, I, I, I hope they're grateful for it. Put it this I way. Will. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so qualification then. What do you remember about booking your place? Yeah, so the qualifications was in Chicago in 2007. And I, I remember, because you, you look at the draw, and one of the most nerve-wracking things about any tournament is when you're sitting in the room and they're like reading out, so we've got uh, 48 kilos, Darren Langley, you're fighting this country, you've got this country, you've got this country, and you're, I'm waiting, thinking, oh, I'm going to fight. So I thought that I got the Netherlands, and I was like, he's a good fighter, Daniel Kuzi was called, he's got a lot of experience, but I thought I don't beat him. Well, then it's straight away, as soon as the coaches leave, you pick up the draw sheet and you see, if you beat him, who you've got next. <laughs> and I was like, oh, fuck, I've got to beat him, I've got the Ukrainian, Ismail Saliko, who was a world silver medalist, who was an absolute monster. I knew he was fighting the American, and uh, I was like, so I've got him. I was like, shit. Uh, he's a tough fight. He's going to be, take some beating. He, he beat so many top fighters. And then I beat the, I beat the uh, Netherlands guy, and then the American beat the, beat the Ukrainian. And I was like, fuck, the American's beaten. And this American was an absolute beast. He was the captain of the team, Christopher Downs, a uh, really big fella full of weight. Then I boxed him, and then I ended up beating him really comfortably. And then I beat the the the, the Uzbek the Uzbekistan, I think it was the, the next round, uh, or the Belarusian, and that secured me place. And you know, right there, after all of the eight years that I went through to actually know that I was going to the Olympics and get the tracksuit, and it was like unbelievable, you know, absolutely unbelievable feeling to actually be able to qualify for the Olympics and secure your space. Uh, I, love, I love hearing stories like that. Yeah. So good. And just to met like all the things you've achieved in boxing and beyond, just to hear the sort of joy in your voice when you say something like to get the tracksuit, you know, there are just these these iconic things, these moments that so few people get to experience and, and you'll always right, yeah. have that. You'll always yeah. have that. I mean, because uh, you, 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 you see the Olympic rings and when you aim for the Olympics that like the Olympic, getting the Olympic ring, having so being associated with the Olympic rings is 
is a, such a big deal. I've got them tattooed on my on my chest now, mm-hmm. and it's just such a big deal to, to be able to get the tracksuit and wear the t-shirt. Because even before the Olympics, like when I went to Commonwealth Games, getting a Team England tracksuit for the Commonwealth Games, it was like the best thing ever. Getting the England best when you fight for England, it's the best thing ever. But now we're talking about Great Britain and getting the actual Great Britain tracksuit with the Olympic rings on. It's like, it's even now thinking about it sends goose pimples down my back. Think Just just thinking about going going there and doing that. It, yeah, it, it, was the, it was the best. That really is. You know Have you mean? still got it? Have you still got the tracksuit? Yeah, I've, I've, yeah, I've, got, I've got loads of Olympic gear. <laughs> I mean, given that this has been eight years, or yeah, specifically eight years in the making, at what point did you feel the most like pressure? Was it, you know, was it in that early stages in Chicago, or was it when you actually got over to Beijing for the games themselves? Yeah, well, the, the most pre- well, when when I was coming to qualifiers, I knew this was the very first Olympic qualifier, and I knew that. Um, if I didn't win there to qualify there, I would have got another chance to qualify again. But uh, but the, but I, but as the as the time goes on, the qualifiers get harder and harder, right? And um, so I knew this was my best chance to qualify. So I qualified and it was great. But the the most pressure that I felt was in the Olympics when I was fighting for the medal. I was fighting uh, um, a Hungarian, Hungarian yeah. who I'd beat before. And Billy Joe Saunders, he fought someone before before me, and he who we beat before, I think it was a Cuban, and he got mm. beat off him. I think it was Bradley Saunders fought someone we beat before, and he got beat off him. And it might have been Kali Afai. So the 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 England team it was going the all fighting people who they beat before, and they were getting beat off beat off them. And I'm like, oh shit! So like you think about little things like that. So I studied the video of my previous fight room and I looked at it and I, and I was um, with all the video analysis guy and, and was studying it and I was really, really nervous and anxious and it was a, a, a crazy feeling. I had this fight after everything I'd been through to, to actually win an Olympic medal and I knew that I would win it. But then I had the doubts in my mind as well, saying, well, these guys should have beat them, them people, and now I, I don't want to take my eye off the ball and think about what I'm fighting next. So that fight was the, was the biggest pressure. Then I was actually in the fight, and I was winning the fight comfortably, and I went in the last round, and I was something like six points up in the last round, and I knew all I had to do was not get hit, and I would have won the Olympic medal. And it was a tough fight, and I was running around the ring like thinking I'm not going to get hit I'm six <laughs> points up come on the referee was like come on you got to engage I was like yeah mate so I was engaged a little bit then running <laughs> trying to win as time as I could and then when that bell went mate I got some energy from any from, from I don't know where and I just jumped around the ring and, and and that right there was the single most best feeling in me in my whole entire life winning that Olympic medal and I secured it and it was like wow like, I can't kind of explain it you know, and it's a funny story about this. You know, Wayne McCulloch? Yeah. yeah. Wayne McCulloch, Olympic silver medalist. Uh, he, he used to work at the gym. Uh, he used to work for us at Box and Burn as a trainer. And I had a, what we call a baby shower over here where, where I was I was having with my daughter and Wayne was there. And I was talking to Wayne. He went, you know what, Tony? He said, 
having a having a kid is the best feeling in the world. I was like, better than winning the Olympic medal. <laughs> he had better than winning the Olympic medal. I was like, whoa. <laughs> so now I'm thinking, I'm thinking, how how can this feeling be as good as that feeling? <laughs> so I'm all anxious when I'm when my wife's giving birth to a kid, and the kid comes out. And she had a bit of breathing difficulties and the doctor come in and whack on her back and her arm shit myself. And that was actually one of the worst experiences of my life. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like, Wayne, mate, sorry. <laughs> it's fucking not a patch on one of the living <laughs> <laughs> Oh, amazing. Uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. And then I had another, I thought maybe because she had breathing difficulties. So we had another kid and I was like, nah. <laughs> not a patch, mate. There's not, there's nothing in the world that'll beat that feeling. There's not, and you know, a hard thing about retiring from boxing, not just for me, but I think any any fighter is, when you win a fight, it's 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 amazing. It's a great, it's a great, great feeling. And when you retire from boxing, you're never going to get that high again. You're never going to get that feeling again. Where and I've spoken to people about this, and it's like this year, it's like. If you take a drug, if you're taking cocaine and you get that big rush and then and then it, it comes down after, and it, it, it's kind of like that. You're kind of an addict to wanting that feeling. You want to want that high feeling that you get from winning the fight. So when you retire, you're never going to get that feeling again. And I got a little bit depressed after I did retire. Maybe it had something to do with that. Maybe, maybe it didn't. But uh, yeah, it, it's hard to know that you're never going to reach them peaks again. So for some reason, I was looking for that. But having kids, I had three kids. I never found that. <laughs> I'm having no more kids. <laughs> oh goodness me! So the way the way you talk about all of these memories, though, it's 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 like they're so they're so fresh in your mind. Still, I can just sort of hear the the sort of pride in your voice, and and sort of thank you, thank you for sharing them. Really, how do you feel talking about what happened and? And sort of sharing those memories with us. Yeah, no, I love it because I don't really talk about it often. So I've got uh, you and Johnny, who's interesting. So it's great to really, really talk about it. And like I do, I mention I'm the Olympian. The people, if if they come to the gym, I've got me Olympic medal on the wall or, or a fake Olympic medal on the wall. <laughs> so people know that I am. But it's very rare I get asked deep questions now and get a talk about this. So yeah, I, I love talking about it when when I, when I can. Well, you. In which case, let's talk about another fight then, because you won the quarterfinal to win the bronze medal very yeah. well. The fight against the Colombian before that—that that was a little bit closer, wasn't it? Yeah, it was very close, and I, I knew that uh, to fight this Colombian. The reason why, so the reason why the Cuban didn't qualify at the Olympics at my weight was because the Colombian Alvarez, who we all know now, is, mm. turned out to be a really good fighter. Um, he knocked the club, he knocked the Cuban spot out, and he was a knockout artist. He was knocking everyone out. So I was trying to try not to get hit from this guy when I was in the fight with him, um, and it was a very close fight. You know, you look after this. So this fight here, I've watched it back after, and sometimes I'm landing solid jabs, and you don't, and they're not, they're not scoring the shots, right? And I'm like, well, I should have been more ahead here. Well, I wasn't. Then in the last round, the, 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 the scores are even, right? And he hits me with the uppercut and kind of knocks me out back. And and he 
he didn't get a point for that shot. He should have got a point for that shot. So if he if that shot scored, I wouldn't have got Olympic medal. I wouldn't have continued on. I would he would have beat us. But because the the judges weren't really scoring every, all the clean shots with me or, or him, um, it, it, it kind of worked in my favour. I guess I don't know because I should have been ahead more ahead than I, than, I, than I was even. But yeah, I look back and I and I think, ooh, if all it took was for one fella just to do that with his finger, and then I wouldn't achieve what I've achieved, you know. So yeah, I'm 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 very thankful that that judge was a bit. Too slow, yeah. Because this is history. this is the Aleda Alvarez who was knocking out Kovalev to win the world title uh, yeah. not that long ago. Yeah, so he's Absolutely. a serious guy to be up against. Yeah, he's a really good fighter. He had a big reputation of being like a knockout artist and amateurs. So I just thought if if this guy can't land that big right hand, I'll just be able to outbox him. And uh, yeah, and, and that's that's kind of what I've done to win that fight. I, I outboxed him. But yeah, it could have could have went either way. It really could have. And everything he's done in his career, and he sits there thinking that bloody Tony Jeffries <laughs> cost yeah. him the Olympic medal. <laughs> Exactly, he's, he's sitting there thinking now if that daft judge pressed that button when he should have, you know, I, I hope it would have been me, not him. But like, so when when he when he did have success and become a world champion, like I watched that fight very closely, and I got and when he won, I, got, I jumped around. And I was so excited because I, even though I'm out of boxing, that kind of helps me with my I don't want to say a legacy, but helps me with with, with feeling that that I've I've beat someone who's achieved so much. You know, so it makes me feel better about myself that he's done so well. <laughs> what was it like on the podium? Uh, 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 it was kind of overrated being on the okay. podium. Uh, you know, the, the best feeling was the best feeling was when that bell went and I could yeah. secure the medal. Uh, on the podium, uh, yeah, it was great. Obviously, being on the Olympic podium, it wasn't my national anthem playing. Yeah, uh, it was someone else's, and then. I always remember that uh, the, the Chinaman put his arm, there's a picture of this, he put his arm around us, right? And he had his flowers in his hands and his flowers went straight in his face. <laughs> I'm trying to get the flowers out of, the, out of my face. I think, get off me, it. So there's a picture that was like with the flowers in my face on the podium, so we kind of spoiled my experience. <laughs> so he, he ruined it for you. Oh, nice. So I'm like, oh, mate. <laughs> but other than that, what was... But the Beijing Olympics, I mean, every Olympics is a big Olympics, but the Beijing Olympics, you know, it was spectacular from the opening ceremony onwards. What was it like out there in Beijing at that time, in the Olympic Village, that that side of the experience? What was that all like? It was uh, it, it was amazing. It was, it was uh, we didn't, we kind of knew what to expect, but we, we didn't. We'd been in the Commonwealth Games and we had a, we had a, a village there, like the England team village or, or the, the athletes village. So we had a bit of experience with being in, a, in like the village environment, but the Olympics was just next level. The village is massive, like absolutely huge. But we'd like be sitting there eating lunch, and then uh, Roger Federer would walk past all, all of these, these famous athletes. And then I remember after the after the opening ceremony, we all went back to the village, and it's weird that the Olympic Village has got a McDonald's inside for three hours, <laughs> and then. Uh, Everyone would come back on the went in there, and then the the, bas- the American basketball team were there. So Kobe Bryant, LeBron James were there, and it was funny because LeBron James went and jumped over the counter at McDonald's, 
and got burgers. I mean, who wants a burger? And he was serving people <laughs> burgers. But it was this at that time in 2008. It was before, like, there was, like, what now it is. Now everyone would have the phones out video, and it was just before then. Uh, yeah, and, and I met Kobe. Got a, got a picture with Kobe. So, yeah, being, being in the Olympic Village, it, it, was, it was crazy because you're around these best athletes in the world. You really are. And then you've got a, a bunch of us lads like... I mean, we know Billy Joe Saunders' background, he's, he's rough. And then you've got like Frank and Gavin, then uh, all, all the other boys. Who, and like I said, not from educated backgrounds, where a lot of the other sports in, Olymp- in the Olympics is proper educated backgrounds. So you've, you've, you've got the two, two different... We, we kind of stood out like sore thumbs, I felt, compared to everyone else. But it was funny, yeah. we're, in the whole, we're in the holding camp in Macau, and... Uh, like, I don't know if I should really tell the story, but I'm, I'm worried. I'm not going to name a name. We had a whole in Macau with all the Team G boxers, right? And I'm not going to see his name, but it was one of our boxers, one of our teammates. Every time you got a penny, draw a picture of a dick, wherever he was. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, draw a picture of a dick. And then uh, there, was, there was these big Team GB boards, cardboard uh, pictures and with pens next to it for everyone to sign the name on. So all the athletes would walk past and they'd sign the name on, on the boards. It would give the weird whatever they give away to. And then this boxer would uh, go and he'd, he'd always draw it on the board, right? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, like all the time, just drawing fucking dicks everywhere. So we got in a... Uh, Terry Edwards said, we need to have an important meeting. All of, all of the performance directors from every single sport in Team GB got brought in to speak to the head person on the committee of the Team GB. And the meeting was about someone is drawing penis pictures, the set of the, the performance letters on, on the, the signing boards. We need this to stop right away. But so straight away, Terry Edwards knew that it was one of us, you know? So he come back and then all, all of the performance directors went to all of the sports and had a meeting about this, so I just imagine, you just imagine all of the rows sitting there with their performance director, and he's like, someone's drawing penises, and then we're like, whoa, whoa. come to us, he's like, I'm not saying it's one of you, but someone's drawing, he knew it was, but someone's drawing penises on, on, on these pictures. If I find out who it is, you're going home. I don't care who you are. You're not going to the Olympic Games. You're getting kicked off the team. You're on the next flight home. This is like, this is like three weeks before the Olympics. You, on the next flight home, you, if this happens ever again, it's, it's like so serious. We're like, shit, he's serious, he's angry. Like, fuck. So as we walk out of there, <laughs> we walk past this signing board and the boxer got the pen and drew the biggest dick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the biggest dick you've ever seen. I mean, you can't do it. Like, oh, I was also going to say now the GB team, uh, the GB boxing program has expanded as well. So as well as nutritionists, I think they've got like a lifestyle advisor. They've got these extra roles and the sort of backroom stuff, but that actually does make a huge difference in, you know, teaching the young boxers coming on to be not just professional in how they do their training in the gym, but also in their, their lifestyle and approach being ultra professional out of it because that can be the difference between you know 
making it and getting a medal and and making it yeah. the whole way. No, that 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 is really good to know that. But, um, and I, what what they've, what they've done is amazing. You've got everything. You've got the sports psychologists there and um, the physiotherapists, the masseuses. You've got you've got everything. A lifestyle person that that would be amazing as well. And another thing, what I wish that I did. I've just did a post on Instagram about this talking about uh, one thing that I wish I did. I wish I studied more or read books or, or just educate myself more, not so much about boxing, about other stuff in life. Uh, because, you know, I, I left school with zero qualifications, didn't do any exams, I just left school. And the same with most boys now, we, 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 we just think about boxing and don't really think about anything after boxing. So if there was some sort of like a, not so much a classroom, but so, it's just some sort of way to educate them, educate the, the boxers in whatever interest them, they might be interested in. You know, I think that would be that would be good if it's business or, or whatever. Because you, know, you see a lot of boxers now that retire and they've got absolutely no idea. They've got, I haven't got a, a business mind at all. I've kind of had a business mind since since I was since I was fourteen years old. I used to sell stuff at school and sweets at school and and so it's kind of followed me all the way through my life it's interesting what you were saying about um you lads going to the olympics and not having the education because particularly with american sport and this is probably something you're a lot closer to now you're out there very often they use the sport as a pathway through the education don't they with the track and field athletics and the massive college sports if you're a good athlete you can get a scholarship they make sure that the education and the sports run hand in hand and you can sort of build your future based on that but I think boxing's just very different to most sports yeah it is and you're right what you're saying um, I think it's great what they do here with the scholarships and, mm. uh, and stuff make, make sure that they're doing the work as well but yeah boxing boxing is different and uh, I, I wish boxing had some sort of union as well for professional boxing boxers outside of outside of boxing because you know boxing is a is a very dangerous sport and you, you'll get fighters that start when they're 10 years old and I've wrote a lot about this they start when they're 10 years old and then they, they might get on the England team they'll, they'll, they'll win some fights then they'll get an offer to turn professional and they'll turn professional at 22 but they'll still be working their full-time job and they'll have a few fights there they'll, but all along that time they're getting a little bit punched up you know they're getting, they're getting punches in the head what's doing damage to the brain and they'll end up retiring from boxing when they're 27, 30, without a pot of pissing, without any money, without any future, without any big goal. And now they end up working on a building site, drinking to not something that I did when I said, you know, this high that you get from winning fights, when you drink, you, you feel good and you feel relaxed. So a lot of fighters out there now are drinking to, to feel good and to feel normal and to feel happy. So they're drinking more and they come off the drink, they put a shit job that they don't like, they're getting depressed. And this is something that happens all the time put a little bit of CTE, but there's nothing for fighters after fighting. You know, it's just, that's it. Do do what you're going to do. There's no advice. There's nothing at all. And this is something that I'm really trying to push with my uh, boxing education program is to, to, to try and get, get fighters, former fighters into teaching for fitness because boxing is the biggest trend in fitness right now. You know, so I love to help former fighters to, to get out of that rut that they're in and to try and enjoy, enjoy their life a little bit better. And I think the boxing union would really help with that. I also think, with regards to what you were saying there, a lot of a lot of boxers who've gone through exactly what you've 
spoken about there, particularly the ones who take the sport up at a young age, they don't realize the skill set that they have, particularly with boxing training, because boxing is one of the few sports that teaches you exactly what your body should be and exactly the right size it should be and exactly the way it should operate. If you think about other major sports, you know, so uh, in the UK here, we've got, I don't know, rugby and over there, you've got NFL. It teaches you, it trains you to be 5, 10, 15, 20 kilos overweight, even though you're incredibly fit and even though you work hard for that physique, you're overweight. Whereas with boxing, if you've got used to being that certain way, training that certain way, that, that's something you can carry on and you can really pass on to people to help them create a better healthier lifestyle so instead of thinking that you know you've slogged yourself for x amount of time your boxing career's over that's it they've got this ready-made thing here that they can help improve other people's lives and obviously that's something you've taken and run with but more more fighters or more ex-fighters could could Mm. certainly do that and i think we'd be a better society for it have i got a bit deep there sorry lads well i love what you see it's 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 totally it's totally right because I, I, I keep saying boxers haven't got any education. That that's not right. Boxers, boxers' education is boxing. Like you know, put someone who's went to school for ten years into a boxing gym and try and teach them what boxers know that they've been doing for ten years old. Boxers have got boxing as their education. Now it's just turning that education into a profitable business, or, or, or even not even like a, a business that makes them happy. Because money's not the be all now, or but being happy is where. Someone like, like Frankie, for instance, I don't like using that example. Like he would be, I bet he would be way happier spending all his time in the gym teaching people the, the, the boxing for fitness and helping change people's lives through boxing for fitness um, than working the alternative on a night shift on a on a on a, on a railway track or, or whatever. You know. So if we can, if we can, what I try to do is get this in the boxers' heads. You've got the education. Now you've just got to, you've just got to switch a few things round, and and learn how to teach it for fitness. And the and the the thing is with boxers why they don't do this is and I was the same when I started is an ego, an ego thing where where you see other personal trainers teaching boxing for fitness and it's like he's never had a fight in his life how can he teach boxing for fitness and that's what we think they're making way more money than 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 a fighter trying to teach boxing for fitness. And the reason why is because they know how to communicate to people. They know how to they know how to uh, make people feel good about themselves and, and come back in and train again. Where boxers try to teach a middle-aged lady how their coach taught them, where keep your fucking hands up and they'll whack them across the head. You know <laughs> that that there, they're not going to come back in. They're not going to retain client. What was that? Come on, what was that? Move your head. What was? You can't speak to them like that, you know. Yeah. And on our course, we try to teach boxers how to how to do that, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if if boxers learn how to do that, they the one hundred percent can have success in in doing this for fitness because they've got that education there. They've got the hard education there. Right. We said we were going to keep you for half an hour. It's been nearly an hour. So a couple more <laughs> things, Tony, and then. But this has been such oh, a great chat. Yeah, but you, you, well, it's interesting. You mentioned you mentioned the word ego there because um, I I chatted to I chatted to Chris Lloyd earlier and uh, mentioned that I was speaking to you later on, and he harked back to the 2012 Olympics and he said it was great to have you there because you you had your medal and and you did some some punditry and he says he remembers how 
how great you were with the public and how it seemed as though you were really enjoying being part of an Olympic Games that you weren't fighting in. So what are your, what are your memories of your 2012 Olympic experience and, and how was it not being the sort of star of the show in the ring? Yeah, I mean, it was great to go there and, and see familiar faces from the England boxing team or GB boxing team, like the backroom staff and all that and catch up with them. But my big memory of, of that was, so I was a professional fighter at the time, mm. it was just before I retired, and I was in training camps with Vanda Holyfield for, um, for, for my previous three fights. And I went for lunch with Vanda a couple of times. We've done a TV thing together. We had the same trainer. I thought he was my boy. Well, we got close to all that, right? And um, and like we would be shadow boxing the same rings. We have we'd be on the heavy bags next to each other, talking throughout the session. And then I remember uh, I was with Chris Lloyd, and uh, we would stand next to the ring talking before we'd done this question and answer to the full audience. <clears throat> and a band had come down with another fella, and someone introduced a band at the Christmas. This is uh, Chris, he's going to be interviewing you. Hello, and he said, this is Tony Jeffries. And he said, me, all nice to meet you. Oh, my God. And I'm, and I'm like, mate, it's Tony, we're trimming with Tommy together. Went, oh, yeah. And he just didn't have a good one. But Ivana is, um, he's been punched. He's took Mike Tyson's, one of Mike Tyson's hardest punches, like several of them, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> talking about the damage that boxing does to you, it's, done, it's obviously done damage to him. And that's why... John saying the blog I wrote like they should never he should never be fighting again right now. Yeah, you know? um, yeah no, it's insane. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's a different story. But yeah, I, wrote, I always remember that, and I was like, <laughs> I thought you wasn't me, boy. I was like, <laughs> big hug in front of thousands of people, like yes, Savannah. But oh. it was like next to me, yeah. All right, man. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was, it was great to go there and and uh, and, and see everyone and, and be a part of it and watch watch the fights as well. Uh, brought back some great memories. Do things like that make it easier to leave pro boxing behind when you can see, you know, seem like a legend of like Amanda Holyfield and he's not in the greatest of health? Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, exactly what you said. And if you think about Amanda Holyfield, if there's a fighter you want to be like, someone said you want to be like Amanda Holyfield, every fighter would be like, yes, definitely. He's done this, done that. But then when you see him after and and you speak to him and he's learning his words and he doesn't remember someone from two months ago, it's... It's like, you know, boxing is a very, very dangerous, very dangerous sport. And it's something that I think about every day about the damages that boxing's done, done to me. I had 106 fights in my career. Um, and I did, the, I did the maths. I've done a blog about this as well. I've done blogs about everything we're talking about. I did the maths. And if, um, if I got punched in the face each one of them rounds uh, seven times, and then if, if for each one of them fights I, I sparred 10 sessions... Each session six times, I got punched in the face. As each session was six rounds, I got punched in the face seven times each round. Anyway, the number comes to like between forty-five and fifty thousand times that I've been punched in the head, nice. and it's like wow, that's obviously, obviously done some damage to my brain, right? And I would, I would be punched if it hasn't. And I think it was something like three thousand punches to the head by the time I'm eleven. So I'm 11 years old, I've been punched in the head 3,000 times. You know, it's when you when you really look at it, no one looks at it like that. But when you do look at it like that, I tell you 
the danger of one of those. So what's your take on the sort of changes of the, the rules and the scoring and the protective equipment in the amateur game then? Yeah, I think taking away head guards is crazy. I really do. And and I know people say there's studies about how it does more damage than, than not. You've got a bigger target and you're getting hit more. But it's not just... I, I, I think that's very, very minimal. It's not just... It's not just the brain that it's protecting, it's protecting fighters' hands. If I, I, I retire with bad hands, I guarantee if there was no head guards and amateurs, I would never have made the Olympics. My hands wouldn't have been able to take a punch in a hard skull compared to the head guard. It does that. And as well, what it protects is you from getting cut. Now, if you think where, where, where most of the public see amateur boxing, that's only really in the Commonwealth Games or the Olympic Games. Right, that's it. and if people's wearing head guards and a parents thinking maybe I'll put my kid in a boxing because they see it on the TV and they've seen that they're wearing head guards, like oh yeah, I'll put them in. But now they've removed the head guards and now cuts in boxing is going way way up because people's clashing heads, uh, they're getting punched in their face, so people's getting cut more. Now parents are seeing boxers on the TV, no head guards on, a big cut down the face, not a chance are they going to send the kids to boxing. So that's really hurting, hurting the sport from the grassroots level, from them not wearing head guards in, in, in boxing. I, I, I really believe that. Mm. Now, I'd like to get your thoughts on that, John. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't disagree. Um, in the sense that sort of the guys who are at the Olympics, you know, they are now they're from basically, you know, full-time programmes. So I don't really mind amateur boxing, say, for them without head guards in terms of how punishing it is. Though actually, the fact that getting cut is a problem at the tournament. You know, one of my, my sort of biggest gripe would probably be the fact that because those rules are set at international level, at a national level, your federation has to follow the rules. So beginners, yeah. like so, so you know, uh, adult beginners have to... Um, compete without head guards and I think that doesn't you know make any sense really yeah. Um, yeah. so I think that's a bit you know and I think you know so people who are what 18 might you know might you know where, where lots of people do start at that age or just want to go to a gym to train I think they might be dissuaded if then they were if they did have to compete they did have to do it without head guards even at that sort of novice level um, and it doesn't make much sense to have men boxing men in the Olympic boxing without head guards, but women having them on. Um, right. And it's just, yeah. But I think, yeah, when it comes down to it, it's probably easier to have a tournament with a head guard because whatever the, your view on what's more likely to cause a concussion, you're more, the reason you wear a head guard is to not get cut. Mm. And when you're boxing day after day over two weeks, um, yeah. it's cuts you want to worry about. And I hadn't even thought about the issue with hand injuries and that kind of thing. But nobody listens to me. No one cares. <laughs> and rightfully so. <laughs> You've mentioned the blog a few times as if, like, I'd imagine the vast majority of people uh, who listen to this are going to be sort of fans of yours who follow you. But if uh, for the people who sort of listen to the podcast who might not be familiar with everything that you do, uh, just give us a quick rundown. Where can people find you and what can they look forward to when they do? Yeah, so I, I write a blog for the Boxing News website and uh, a lot of people tell me like I'm the best writer 
follow the boxing you. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd, I'd go with that. <laughs> so I'm just going to go get my journalism awards and wave them in front of the camera. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> oh, that's a nibble. Uh, <laughs> and then, then Instagram is, is where uh, where I've really built a big brand and a big following. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so and on Instagram, I just give loads of value. We'll go to tips on how to how to box and how to punch harder and things like that. So call me Jeffries on Instagram. One. Good. Final question. Oh, I've got a final question as well. All you right. could, one you do, one do, second to last question. Okay. Uh, can Robbie Williams fight? What's going on? <laughs> Mate, Robbie Williams can fight, right? It's it's funny. He, he really can. So I've spent a ton of time with him last year. Um, we went away for a, a couple of times for a few weeks at a time. Remember game And... Training him and he can punch really odd, like really odd. <laughs> uh, you'd be surprised, but Robbie's one of these people who's good at just about everything he does. Well, I was playing golf for him last week, and like his golf game is just unbelievable. Like, wipe the floors, playing pool with him, he, he beats that pool, beats everything apart from boxing. Uh, yeah, he, 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 he can't he can't fight, he really can't. Do you know, it's been quite surreal to go from you know. Growing up in Sunderland, a hard pro career with injuries and that kind of thing. And then you find yourself, well, trainer to the stars, teach Robin Williams how to box and stuff. Would you ever yeah. think how did this happen? Yeah, in his big mansion in, in Beverly Hills. Uh, I couldn't believe it. When I, when I, thought, I first went to his house in Malibu to meet him. And uh, yeah, I was like, this is, this is a bit surreal, you know. Um, and, and now it's kind of... It's, it's it's just good to have a great relationship with him, you know. And uh, yeah, I feel like, I mean, he's, he's a small circle of friends. Uh, so yeah, it's crazy. I mean, another thing what was mad was we uh, when we first opened the Boxing Burn gym, there was an Australian guy coming in the gym and uh, he went, I, have to, I just want to come and do a session. I'm like, yeah, sound me. Uh, it's, I can't remember what we charged at the time. It's $20 or whatever. It won't hit the bag. So he went, I want to do some mitt work. Can you... Will you hold the mitts for us? I said, uh, I'll meet on Bell Girl for me lunch. And he went, All right. Uh, I went, Oh, where are you from? You know, I'm Australia from Melbourne. Whatever. And he went and hit the bag. And then I got my gear and I went out, I went, walked outside to, to go for lunch. When I walked outside, there was about 30 paparazzi there, all with cameras just waiting. I'm like, I said, what, what are you waiting for? He went, Oh, the guy who just went in. I went, Well, who was he? He said, Chris Hemsworth. I went, Chris Hemsworth. Google him. Shit! <laughs> Shit! Just asked us for some bits. So went back in. I was going, mate. Uh, he finished his session. I gave me a business card and texted, and then started doing training with him. I didn't have a clue who he was. There was all these pandas outside. Man, yeah, Elliot's mad for stuff like that. I can't believe so, you said no to holding the mitts for Thor. I know, I mean, I know. I bet he was surprised as well, but I didn't have a clue who he was. You mentioned right at the beginning of our chat that making the Olympics has been the catalyst for this incredible life that you've built for yourself and your family and all these amazing memories that you've made and hopefully some pretty amazing ones still to come. And counting down now to, to Tokyo, in Great Britain, we've got another amazingly gifted team that arguably your generation were kind of the catalyst for or certainly part of it. For the full team of men and women who are going to Tokyo, 
what do you hope that they get out of it all personally? Um, obviously medals. We want, we want them to get medals and, and do better than the other previous teams have done and, uh, and keep building on that. But, you know, I, I, they're all just going to get what they deserve. Like, they'll, they'll get their the best experience ever. And like Terry had used to see, it's a life-changing opportunity. Well, it's a life-changing event that you can use to um, make your life better for the rest of your life. Or you can choose not to. There's ways to do it and ways not to do it. Um, I actually did a podcast on this myself about seven things Olympians should do after the Olympics. Uh, obviously, right now, they want to be focusing on the Olympics, but I'm thinking about after the Olympics, like a big, big thing is stay in the public eye. I've never left the public eye since 2008. Uh, there's Olympians that have, and once you leave the public eye, you, you, you're gone. Like it's hard to get back in, you know? So that's one of the things that I give them. And I give, give, give them other, other tips as well. So, yeah, I mean... It's just all about enjoying the experience and just doing doing the best, the very best that we can, that we can do. And right, I'm going to go now, otherwise I will talk to you all night. Tony, pleasure to meet you. Thank you very much. Uh, John Thanks Denon, well. you're a top man. <laughs> oh, oh, by the way, so J- Tony, I'm, uh, I've booked in for the barbers tomorrow because they're back open here in the UK. You can see John's list. He needs to get himself an appointment there as well, doesn't he? My wife keeps saying I need to get a haircut because I'm growing a mug. You know why, mate? Because she's got eyes. (laughs) (laughs) This is my one chance to grow my hair. I look like a rock star. You don't, mate. No. You're homeless, mate. You're homeless. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Anyway, boys, absolute (laughs) pleasure. Thank you for this. See you, Tony. See you, John. Yeah. Yeah.